Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we'll look back at the November 8th elections to unpack two different dynamics. First, the momentum that Democrats built up in Oakland County, once a reliably Republican part of the state. And then we're going to talk with two members of the Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission about how their first effort at representation statewide turned out. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. I hope everybody had a festive and relaxing Thanksgiving holiday weekend. This is really my favorite part of the year, this gap between Thanksgiving and the end of the year. Everything seems to sparkle just a little bit, so I hope that you are taking part in all the festivity and uh, having a great time. Here's where we want to begin today, and it's a few weeks ago when we had our midterm elections on November 8th. And because of the outcome of those elections, when next year begins, 2023, for the first time in 40 years, Democrats are going to control not only the governor's mansion, but also both houses of the legislature. That's right. Both the state Senate and the state House of Representatives will have Democratic majorities. 1983 was the last time that was the case. But should this really have been much of a surprise? Yeah, in recent memory, Republicans had dominated control in our legislature, but they really did that with the help of gerrymandering, the process of redrawing voter districts every 10 years in a way that helps whatever party happens to be in power. For decades here in Michigan, we allowed politicians to choose their constituents rather than having citizens choose the way that they wanted to be represented. All you need to do is look back eight years ago to 2014, a year when Michigan voters cast 30,000 more ballots for Democrats in the state house, yet Republicans held a 63-47 advantage to see how insane that system was. It was really absolutely disenfranchising lots of people. Now, Later in the program, we're going to talk with some of the independent commissioners who are now involved in the redistricting process to get their take on how they feel their first effort at MAPS performed in the first election. We really want to get to what these MAPS produce, what they thought they would produce, and what they expect to be different, perhaps, next time. This is a learning process, and I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, that this is not something that was going to happen one time. It's going to happen over and over and over again, and we should get better and better and better at it. But it's absolutely true that in the very first cycle after redistricting, it was possible for Democrats who typically in the last couple of decades at least have gotten more votes statewide for the legislature than Republicans uh, would actually be able to control the chambers. Before we get to that issue, though, we want to continue to look at how the changes are affecting our elected representatives, what Democrats in the legislature are seeing and what they plan to do with their new majorities when they take their seats in 2023. And we want to start with Jeremy Moss, who is a state senator who was reelected for a second term. He is serving his first term right now, representing the 11th State Senate District, which lies in Oakland County. And we want to talk about 
Oakland County in particular, which used to be a Republican stalwart here in Michigan, a place that Republicans always saw as key to statewide victory. It has really become much bluer. All of the local county offices in um, in Oakland County are held by Democrats now. And uh, in statewide races, it goes blue way more often than it goes red. Uh, State Senator Jeremy Moss, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So let's start with your goals for the upcoming term in the state Senate. As I said, uh, you were re-elected uh, to a, a second term. Democrats are going to be in control. I think there are a lot of competing interests pulling at uh, people's shirt sleeves saying, hey, it's our turn. Let us get some of these things done. But of course, can't do everything all at once, uh, and there's going to have to be some prioritization. Give us a sense of how that effort and that process is taking place. Sure, and I'll add even on a layer uh, to what you said, that this is the first time Democrats are in control of the legislature and the governor's office for the first time in 40 years. But I think it was Zach Gorchow from Gongra who calculated since 1855, Democrats have had a trifecta only six years. So, you know, this is this is historic in the sense that we're we're taking the majority for the first time in decades. But we haven't had many opportunities um, in the state's history to govern like this. But I, I think that our priorities really are outlined by the voters directly uh, from this past election cycle, uh, particularly on, on a few fronts. Number one, they obviously voted uh, to enshrine reproductive freedom into our Constitution. And so I think one of the most immediate things I think we can all hopefully embrace is getting rid of that cruel and outdated 1931 abortion felony uh, and sending that repeal to the governor's desk. Uh, the second thing uh, that voters uh, embraced um, across the aisle, you don't, you don't get to these, these numbers of support with Democrats alone. This is Democrats and Republicans and independents who came together to protect voting rights. And so one of the things that the legislature will be tasked uh, with implementing is shepherding uh, this early vote. Um, so we'll have, I think, about nine days of early voting here in the state of Michigan as a result of the, the passage of the ballot proposal protecting voting rights. And uh, we will have to implement that and make sure that it operates uh, and functions um, to the benefit of the voter. And then lastly, uh, one of the things, again, that's a charge from uh, the voters directly, is ethics, restoring ethics here in the state of Michigan. Um, we've seen scandal after scandal in this Republican-led legislature um, due to a lack of oversight and accountability from legislators. So voters also voted to require that lawmakers um, create a financial disclosure law mm -hmm. so that you know uh, what we're voting on and, and that it doesn't necessarily, uh, it's only put up because it would benefit uh, the financial interests of a lawmaker. We need to be voting on bills that benefit everyone in the state of Michigan. Yeah. So as you're thinking about those priorities, um, what's the conversation among the three different parts of uh, the legislative process, uh, the governor's office, the Senate and the House? Uh, one of the things that always kind of tickles me at least a little bit about uh, politics in this state and, and um, certainly other places this is true as well, but it seems to happen pretty frequently here, is that one party controlling everything doesn't always mean that everybody gets along. And I'm reminded right. of the last few years of Governor Rick Snyder's administration when um, when he, he, he said to me, that there was nothing he could get out of uh, out of the state legislature anymore. That he felt like uh, they were his opposition in in some ways, even though they were Republicans. I wonder if if you're starting to see how that kind of dynamic will come together uh, in, in January among Democrats. Well, it remains to be seen, and I don't disagree with that analysis, but I don't know that it's necessarily a function of, uh, of a party that's in full control or where the state of the Republican Party currently is, where the Republican Party is so divided uh, between uh, former conservatives uh, and this new, uh, this new Trumpism uh, in the Republican Party, because Democrats have been pretty united, actually, I would say, at least in the state of Michigan over these last several years. And I think that's one of the factors that led us to this historic majority is that we were all really in the same boat paddling in the same direction. Um, so right now we've hit the ground running um, really in sync with one another. And obviously, you know, I, I could be on the show in a year and tell you another tale 
but I, I really feel like we're starting off strong, communicating with one another, with all of these pent-up priorities that we've all been pushing for the last 40 or so years. Um, so we are looking right now together uh, at what legislation could be passed that is both, number one, popular, and number two, improves people's lives. And I, and I think when we start from there, um, hopefully there won't be so much dissension. And honestly, I hope we can bring some of those Republicans on board. I've, I've served in the legislature uh, since 2014, so in this pre-Trump era and this post-Trump era. And I know that there have been Republicans who have wanted to have nothing to do with Trumpism. So we're ready to govern and bring them along um, on, on many of these priorities that it's been a far uh, conservative, ultra-right leadership in the legislature that has prevented from moving forward. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Jeremy Moss. He's a state senator from, right now, the 11th district in southern Oakland County. Just reelected uh, to a second term uh, in the Senate. He will represent a newly drawn district uh, going forward. We're talking about what Democrats are likely to do in January of 2023 when they take control of the state Senate and the state House for the first time in tandem for uh, a really long time. It was 1983 was the last time uh, that was true and that they also had control of uh, the governor's mansion. We're talking about what uh, they will put first on that list of things that they'd like to do. Um, we'd love to hear from you as well uh, during this conversation. Give us a call and let us know what your priorities are for the newly democratic legislature uh, in Lansing. What are the issues that you want representatives to tackle in uh, the upcoming term? Also give us a call if you're a resident of Oakland County. In a second, we're going to talk with Jeremy about uh, Oakland County and how it is changing dramatically in terms of its demographics and therefore uh, also, it's it's politics. Uh, it is not the same place it was just eight or ten years ago in terms of uh, electoral outcomes. It is becoming a much bluer place, which is making it much harder for Republicans uh, to win there and, as a result, to win statewide. Oakland County is, after all, the second largest county here in, in our state. As always, uh, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Jeremy, I do want to give you a chance to talk about uh, uh, Oakland County and its importance in in statewide uh, elections. But but first, I want to talk about your new district. Uh, everybody's district is going to be different this time because of decennial redistricting. We did have citizens control that process this time instead of politicians. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of conflicting views about how that all played out. But I want to I want to give you a chance to talk about how it played out for you and and uh, what this new district looks like and maybe how it's different from the one that you represent right now. Sure. And, and we can even go back to 2015 uh, when I introduced legislation alongside my then colleague in the state house, John Hoadley, to create this redistricting commission. I, I heard you say at the top of the program that, you know, we're this 50-50 state in Michigan. Um, but at the time, we had a state Senate that was 38 members, 27 of whom were Republicans, and 11 were Democrats. So it was the most gerrymandered legislative chamber in the country. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that there were fair lines not drawn by the majority party, but by this independent commission. Obviously, voters took that on uh, to their own charge and created this commission in 2018. So currently, uh, my district was was typically the one Democratic district in Oakland County, and we can definitely talk about how Oakland County is changing. So they packed in all of the Democrats at the southern end of the county uh, to create uh, a, a Democratic district that I currently represent, which includes my hometown, Southfield and Lathrop Village, Farmington uh, on the on the west side, and uh, Oak Park, Huntington Woods, Ferndale, and 11 communities total uh, in southern Oakland County. What they did was they they flipped the district essentially from an east to west corridor to a north to south corridor. So I'm that I'm that telegraph corridor of Oakland County. I do have a portion of northwest Detroit, but it's essentially Southfield, Bloomfield and Pontiac. Uh, and I'm sure you have more questions uh, to talk about the shift in Oakland County, but my goodness, when knocking doors this, this summer in, in Bloomfield, um, that tells the story of Oakland County. I, I had people, when I was knocking doors, tell me, listen, 
after January 6th, I can never vote for a Republican again. Um, and I, I had folks that say, we don't do lawn signs, but this year we are. Please put one on our, on our lawn. So really, if you look at the shift uh, of where people have just kind of rejected this fringe element of the Republican Party, maybe they don't say they're Democrats, but they're certainly voting for Democrats. Um, it's definitely been in that Bloomfield area, uh, which is now in my current district. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Let's start today with uh, Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, are you there? Leslie, you need to turn your radio down. <laughs> okay, Leslie, call us back. Uh, turn the radio down and call us back. We'll get you on. Uh, let's go to John and Novi. John, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Yes, I just wanted to say, uh, as a Michigan voter who's struggled with feeling like his vote counts, uh, matters, that I'm happy to see this independent redistricting commission uh, lead to a much more representative legislature reflective of the will of the voters. I appreciate this conversation and I hope we can find ourselves talking a little deeper into topics such as ranked choice voting as a statewide mm. Yeah, issue. Uh, John, I really appreciate uh, the call and that and that perspective and you're right. Ranked choice voting and a number of other kinds of voting reforms, I think, are going to get uh, a little more attention in Michigan over the next couple of, of years. If if I think you can read the tea leaves a bit from uh, from about 2018, uh, when we really did start to reform the way that uh, that people can participate in the democratic process uh, uh, through through elections. Um, uh, Jeremy Moss, I want to I want to give you a chance to talk about what uh, what John's talking about here, but also to talk about Oakland County in particular and how dramatically different uh, it is it is really going. Yeah, and and in terms of voting reforms, um, I think we've seen ranked choice voting operate throughout the country and how you're not voting for the lesser of two evils. People are able to actually rank um, who they want their second vote to go to um, if if the person who they primarily voted for just didn't accumulate enough support. Another system that's interesting to look at is what California does. Instead of having a Democratic primary and a Republican primary, um, what they do is they have the top two candidates emerge, regardless of party, uh, and compete in November um, so that that person has to get 50 percent plus uh, of the vote and truly represent uh, a majority interest uh, of the district. Um, back home here in Oakland County, um, I first got involved uh, in, in, in kind of campaign politics with Brenda Lawrence uh, back uh, maybe 15 years ago, and we just celebrated her retirement from Congress. Um, but I look at that Brenda Lawrence campaign for Oakland County Executive in 2008 as kind of a guide of where we've been and where we're going. Um, nobody challenged Brooks Patterson uh, for Oakland County Executive. And when Brenda Lawrence did, she laid the map down of where Democrats can compete. She, she lost, but obviously went forward with a great career in public service. Um, but she put herself out there to at least mark on the map where, where can we grow, um, where are there opportunities. And in that year, we actually flipped two of our countywide seats for the very first time, including electing a county prosecutor and a county treasurer. And from there, each countywide office, as you mentioned, um, with the exception of sheriff, has flipped from Republican control to Democratic control. And and I think, as you as I've said, it's it's the voter that has been fed up with the extremism. And the Republican Party may not necessarily call themselves a Democrat, but definitely votes that way. And it's not just Oakland County. I, I think the next big story in Michigan is what's going on in Grand Rapids in Kent County, um, which just elected a, a Democrat uh, for Congress for the first time in decades. And, and I think you are going to see Detroit and, and Oakland County and, and Grand Rapids um, really uh, be able to have uh, a say in the direction of our state because it's this coalition of strong Democrats uh, and independent-minded voters um, who are looking forward and not trying to relitigate uh, the 2020 election again every cycle and every cycle. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, you can also get uh, into the conversation here through Twitter if you hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we can we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Give us a call. Let us know what you think about uh, the politics in Lansing that are about to unfold in January. Also, how politics have changed here in Southeast Michigan so dramatically. Uh, Oakland County now a pretty solidly blue jurisdiction. What does that mean for the future of the Republican Party? Uh, let's go next to Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if there's any kind of strong or at least get the foot in the door for the uh, limited, if not eliminated, mag- um, magazines, the uh, the rapid-fire magazine mm-hmm. uh, additions to the to the um, to the rifles that um, that are sold uh, easily and 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 gotten a hold of, and if there's any been any uh, recent legislation on the um, Asian carp situation in the Great Lakes. Yeah, uh, great questions. Uh, we are getting lots of questions about specific issues, Jeremy. But let's start with those two: gun control. Uh, with Democrats in charge in Lansing, are there things? That could be done. I remember after the shootings in Oxford, there were there were discussions about some gun control things that didn't go very far because you had two different parties in charge. And then uh, this question of the Great Lakes and uh, invasive species. Yeah, no, and we can definitely start with uh, gun safety legislation. It was back in 2016 when I was a state house member that we formed a gun violence prevention caucus. So since 2016, uh, six years, we've offered solutions um, that would have been able to be proven to reduce gun deaths and injuries, including strengthening background checks here in the state of Michigan, uh, reducing magazine capacity, as, as Leslie mentioned, that if, God forbid, there is a shooting, at least there's a break in the action where survivors can flee and where, and where law enforcement or others can take action uh, to prevent it from going on. Um, we've also introduced red flag laws. Um, after Parkland in Florida, Florida passed a, a red flag law so that if somebody's on the radar of law enforcement and they pose an immediate harm to themselves or to others, law enforcement or family members can petition the court for a temporary restraining order from that person from possessing firearms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also very, very relative to the Oxford situation, safe storage. Uh, that if a home has a, has a minor in it, that the, a firearm has to be locked up safely. And unfortunately, we saw that was not the case in that horrific shooting here in Oakland County. So we've, we've put forward the solutions. These solutions, again, uh, are popular. Some 90 percent uh, of those that are polled um, support these measures. That includes responsible gun owners. Um, and it seems to have been only legislative Republicans that have been holding these efforts up. So, yes. I think the governor said it during one of uh, her uh, uh, gubernatorial debates that we need to make sure that uh, we put second graders ahead of these Second Amendment talking points. Um, And so uh, that's something we're we're looking forward to. And then on environmental issues, no doubt, um, you know, there's a whole bevy of things that uh, we wanted to implement uh, as good stewards of our environment that we just haven't been able to get done uh, with the current majority. Um, and I think now we have a department that's, uh, that shares those values and a legislature that can protect our air, water, and land as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jeremy Moss, uh, state senator from the 11th district right now, soon to be uh, in a different district in uh, Oakland County because of redistricting. Thanks so much for being here with us uh, on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Thanks again. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue looking back at the elections. But this time, we're going to think about how the new maps performed this election with two of the commissioners who were tasked with drawing those maps. Uh, we're also going to want to continue to hear from you on the phones. What did you think of the redistricting effort? What do you think now that the election is over after the very first cycle under those new maps? Are we on the right path here in Michigan, letting citizens decide how they will be represented? And should we make some changes to improve that process? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. 
stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. The recent elections here in Michigan were significant for lots of different reasons. These were the first time that citizens drew our political maps instead of members of the legislature. The result was uh, because of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, which was created by a constitutional change we made in 2018. Ahead of these elections, this commission went to work attempting to create more representative maps for the state than we've had in a really long time. But this also caused real changes to districts, with some people criticizing the commission for combining separate communities with what they thought were dissimilar interests in favor of restoring some competitive balance. As part of the work, an analysis projected that if Democrats received a similar majority of the vote this year as they had in years past, they could win a majority in both the state Senate and the state House. Democrats for many years now have been casting more ballots for the legislature than Republicans, but because of the way that the jurisdictions were drawn, Republicans still retained a majority. Uh, The idea behind these new maps was to be more representative of the populace itself. Remarkably, or perhaps unremarkably, the results in November tracked almost exactly with what was predicted was possible. This fall, Democratic legislative candidates received just under 51 percent of the total statewide votes, with Democrats winning a 2018 Senate majority and a 56-54 majority in the House of Representatives. But does that mean the commission's efforts this year were a total success? Do these results mean Michiganders are more fairly represented in Lansing than they were in the past? Or do these numbers fail to factor in the communities uh, that they are representing? Do they really take account of all of the different things that we try to achieve with representation uh, through the shape of uh, districts in the legislature and in Congress. There are some folks who are still really dissatisfied with this process, also dissatisfied with the outcome. They feel as though there are some communities that are now underrepresented in ways that they weren't before, even though overall these maps are more representative of everyone here in the state. That is where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And we especially want to hear from you, our listeners, while we're talking about this. What do you make now that we're through the first elections under these new maps drawn by citizens of the redistricting process? So do you think that worked the way that you expected it to? Uh, Are there things that you would change, either about the process of drawing these maps or about the outcomes? Are there things that you would have this commission pay more attention to uh, than they did? Uh, And if there are, what are those things and how would you like them to show up in this process? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation as well. We've got two members of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission with us to discuss this today. Rebecca Zatella is the chair of the commission. She is a non-affiliated voter from Canton. Rebecca, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome, or thank you for having me. Sure. And uh, I'm I'm no longer the chair, by the way. I'm I'm now just a commissioner. That's right. That's right. We are we're gonna. <laughs> that's one of the things that's gonna change, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Anthony Ede is also a commissioner with the group, and he is a non-affiliated voter from Detroit. Anthony, welcome back to Detroit today. Thank you. It's great to be on again. Good yeah. morning, Rebecca. As well. Good morning. So I'm going to start with both of you giving me an assessment of how you think these maps performed. There were several points in the day, on Election Day, and certainly 
uh, in the days after that I thought of you and your colleagues and how you were taking in all of the things uh, that were happening statewide. There were so many surprises. There were things that uh, that really changed here in the political landscape in Michigan as a result of the election. And I kept thinking, wow, the folks who drew these maps uh, have to be thinking, well, this is what uh, this is what we created. I don't want to assign any any uh, particular emotion uh, to that uh, in favor or or against. But I am curious about uh, how you felt as you watched these maps perform uh, for the first time. Rebecca, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I I think it, it was a mixed bag for me. On one hand, the maps performed as we expected them to, um, which just gets into validating how powerfully. Um, the drawing of maps can influence an election. So in this case, for the most part, the maps reflected that almost 54% of voters who voted Democratic in this election. Um, and that was good to see that we had that that representation of how the voters were voting, being aligned with what the results were. However, you know, there are concerns that I had about these maps. I expressed them to you the last time I was, was on the call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also expressed him in a dissenting report specifically about the ability of black candidates to be elected and for black voters to elect their candidates of choice. And then I also had some concerns about the Republican lean on the House map. And I think, unfortunately, these election results have seemed to validate those concerns. So I I still have those concerns. They're still out there. Um, You know, this is just one election, so it might change as as time goes on. But, um, you know, it it was sort of a mixed bag for me. I, I think we did better than the prior maps, but those maps also were not intended to be representative and were not intended to be fair. So I think benchmarking us against the promise of this commission, Hmm. I think we maybe fell a little short. Hmm. I'm going to come back to you and and want you to expand on that idea for sure, Rebecca. But but, but first, uh, Anthony, give me your your reaction to... uh, to what we saw on November 8th and, and uh, you know, in the outcomes of the elections. Was this what you expected? Well, you know, it's it's what the data showed the result would be given the turnout. Uh, so in that regard, I'm quite happy with how the, you know, how the election played out. We were in a situation previously where due to gerrymandering, there was often the case where, uh, the folks who got the most votes didn't hold the most legislative power in our state. And I think what we can say now is that at least the will of the voters is being respected. Now that we have maps that followed uh, the constitutional criteria that the Michigan citizens passed via Proposal 2 in 2018. Um, so, you know, they're not perfect. I think they they, uh, you know, they have some issues, but I think they're significantly better than what we've had in the past. And, you know, I happen to think that, you know, you can't let perfect get in the way of progress sometimes. So I think overall we did a good job. And uh, hopefully in 10 years, when the next Citizens uh, Commission comes into play, hopefully they can build upon our work and improve it even further. Mm. So, um, uh, Rebecca, I'm going to come back to you now. Uh, you mentioned your last appearance on the show, which I believe was in January. And I think uh, you mentioned your concerns about using general election voter data and not primary election voter data in determining African-American representation uh, in these districts. And you s- foresaw a reduction in African-American representation, especially in uh, the state Senate. Let's go back to that and, and apply the filter of of the outcome of these uh, elections. How do you feel now about that? Um, and what's the opportunity, I guess, for the uh, for the commission to do anything to try to, to rectify this? I mean, it's another 10 years before we draw new maps. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel happy about... Um, predicting an outcome that came to pass in this situation. I I think at the last time I was on, I I did express concern that there were going to be declines in black Detroit representation. And um, that unfortunately has come to pass. I I don't feel happy about having 
um, sort of predicted that being the outcome. I, I would have rather have had um, a little bit better representation for that black community in Detroit than what we ended up having. I think, unfortunately, there isn't a lot that the commission can do about it now. The maps have been approved and they're set. So short of court action, this is the maps that the city of Detroit and voters throughout Michigan are unfortunately stuck with through 2022. Um, like I said, I do think they're more fair than the maps that we had in the future, or I'm sorry, in the past, but it does concern me that that came at the cost for black representation, particularly in the Senate and in the House as well. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, what's your sense of, of, of that part of it? And uh, I guess what you think could be different the next time that might produce a different outcome. You know, this is a, a topic where um, my colleague and I respectfully disagree a little bit, which which is okay. We have a, a diversity of ideas and members on the commission, but I'm not sure if the data has panned out necessarily that there is la- less black representation. I read an article in MERS. Uh, last week, saying the House number has gone unchanged. It was at 14 uh, black folks elected previously, and it's at 14 now. And when you take into account that, you know, for the first time in Michigan's history, we have a a black House leader from Detroit in Joe Tate and a black, um, I believe, uh, Erica Geis is going to be serving now as the uh, president pro tempore for the Senate. You know, I think if you ask black folks in 10 years, are their legislative priorities going to be heard more or less than in the past? I think the answer is going to be more. And, um, you know, we have opportunities to elect districts in this map, and it's my hope that uh, in future elections over the next 10 years, hopefully more of those do end up electing black candidates of choice. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rebecca, Anthony's right that that in the House, the number is not different. It is different in the Senate. And those those were the districts that people were, I think, more concerned about uh, because they stretched uh, ac- across boundaries that typically we don't we don't do here in in southeast Michigan. They stretch across eight mile road. Right. The, 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 the big border between Detroit and its northern suburbs, uh, they stretch in, in across some other jurisdictions as well. And and I mean, we can talk a lot about why why that was done, um, but overall, I guess you're still you're still concerned. I guess with the with with, with the outcomes, even though it and it is it is really the Senate that that's going to look uh, different in that way. I, I get the sense that for for you, this is about process, though. This is about what's prioritized and making sure. That um, that you're creating the opportunity for for everybody to be represented. Well, I think um, Commissioner Ede hit right on the point, and this was something that he said in the last call as well, is that he believed um, that there was going to be a marked increase in minority representation compared to what we've had in the past, and I believe that was the the thought process of many of the commissioners is that they believed by going with these very very low percentage of minority voters in districts that we were actually going to increase minority representation. Right, because um, essentially, and then we should explain that quickly for listeners that that you essentially spread black votes into districts that that before didn't have very many of them, and so it creates the opportunity for more districts to elect uh, a non-white person. Exactly, because the prior districts were what we would call packed, is they would have 70, 80, 90 percent African-American voters in a single district. And so we stretch those districts out and reduce them to percentages of 35 and 40 percent with the belief that that was going to create more opportunity districts and more capacity for minority voters to elect their candidates of choice. And I think just looking at this election result, that has not happened. There is not a marked increase, in the words of Commissioner Ede, mm-hmm. in the minority representation. Now, you know, certainly there's going to be people who are smarter than me who are going to dig into these numbers, look into the primary results, and, you know, draw conclusions. But I think just on its face alone, what the commission hoped and believed did not materialize in the way that 
they believe that it would happen. And that's where the concern is right yeah. there. And this is going to be a question for both of you. This is the first cycle of uh, these new maps. We'll have four more at least uh, uh, before we before we get to um, you know redrawing them again. Is it is this a, a dynamic that will change over time? And and I guess the reason I ask that is because one of the things that these maps reflected that I think has not gotten a lot of attention. Uh, is the migration of African Americans into suburban communities. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we did not see an awful lot of in uh, this cycle was uh, African American suburban candidates raising their hands saying, hey, I, I'd like to represent this this district. And, yeah, it stretches into Detroit as well. Uh, is this something that, that might... Uh, transform uh, as we get deeper into the into this redistricting cycle. Uh, Anthony, I'll start with you f- this time. Yeah, you know, I'll just start by saying, as someone who is a minority, this issue is very important to me. But I think just the fact that we're talking about this on the on public radio, you know, goes to show how much better this process is than the process we used to have where they would make these decisions and back the We had no idea how they were doing. We had no idea, you know. So I I certainly appreciate, you know, my colleagues' points on these issues. They're good points, and they need to be something that is looked at in the future for future commissions. Um, As far as your question, um, you know, we'll see what happens over the the next eight more years that these maps are going to be in play. This was a, a major reconfiguration of the maps, probably the biggest reconfiguration we're going to have, you know, in quite some time because our commission decided to start from scratch, whereas future commissions, you know, they might decide to expand upon our work uh, now that the base is a more fair map. So, you know, it's going to take time. And I think over the next eight years, over the next few primary cycles where people know what their districts are a little bit more and know what the boundaries are a little bit more and know their communities a little bit more, I think we will end up seeing uh, that take place. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, is this going to get better as people learn these new districts and learn the political landscape on this map? Well, you know, again, my concern with that is, you know, we saw with, with Brenda Lawrence, she decided not to run. And certainly there was speculation. I don't know that she's ever confirmed this. But there was speculation that the reason why she did that is because her district had been redrawn in a way that she did not think she was going to be elected. And so I I think, again, it's still the same concern. Are minorities going to even try to run? I mean, running for office is very expensive and time consuming and people don't do it if they think they're going to lose. So are those, you know, black members who moved out to suburban areas going to even try to run if they're in a district that's only 35% minority? Do they, are they going to honestly believe that they have a chance to win? Because that's going to be a self-selection process in terms of, of not having those candidates out there if they don't feel there's a reasonable chance that they're going to be able to win. So I think, um, you know, time's going to tell, but um, to me, it's not enough to say, um, sure, there's a chance. People don't just run on a slim chance. They run when they think there's a realistic possibility they're going to win. Yeah. And I'm not so sure we've given that that confidence to minority candidates who might be interested in running. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue talking with Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission members Anthony Ede and Rebecca Zatella. I also want to get to you on the phones and on social. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Terry in Detroit, you'll be up next. Uh, You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. with 
two members of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, Anthony Ede and Rebecca Zatella, about how the maps that they helped draw played out during the very first election of this uh, redistricting cycle on November 8th of uh, this month. I want to hear from you as well about what you think uh, about the maps that uh, were drawn by citizens instead of politicians for the first time and the outcomes they produce. 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Terry in Detroit. Terry, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Wonderful conversation as usual, Stephen. Um, I want to say that I am optimistic about the maps. I also want to kind of disabuse this notion that um, uh, black people's interests can only be represented by other black people. I think that every politician listening to this show today needs to understand that people's interest in Detroit, black people in Southfield, black people in Macomb County, everyone's interest needs to be represented justly and fairly, and no matter what your race is, the expectation is that you do that. And um, so, you know, I, this has been an age-old debate about how do you get minority representation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an important conversation, but we have minority representation in southeast Michigan in both the 12th and 13th district. It changed, but it is still minority representation. And I just want every senator, every House member elected in this last cycle to know that they have a responsibility to all of their constituents, no matter their race. Yeah, Terry, that's a really important point. I'm glad you called uh, to make it. I would I would also, though, say that I don't know that it's an either or. In, in other words, uh, the idea that everybody who's elected to public office ought to think about all their constituents is not at odds with the idea that uh, it's also important to have people who look like you uh, in, in, in office uh, as well uh, because of the common experience that uh, – that so many of us share because of our our ethnic backgrounds, but but you're absolutely right that uh, and and we don't spend a lot of time reminding people uh, who are not members of uh, of minority ethnic groups that uh, hey look you've got to represent everyone. Uh, I want to give our commissioners a chance to respond to that too, though. Rebecca, you go first. Oh, I completely agree with her. Um, and you know we have seen that Sri Thanadar was elected um, in a minority. Um, minority African-American district, and presumably those voters felt that he was going to represent their interests, even though he may not be from the same ethnic background as them. So I absolutely agree with with 100% with what she said. Yeah, Anthony? Are you still there, Anthony? Oh, yeah, I was muted. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I completely agree as well. I think it goes to show that you know, candidate of choice doesn't always match up with the minority group in the area. You know, you have two candidates there um, where, you know, Sri Tanadar uh, won the majority of votes in Detroit proper. So he was likely the black candidate of choice. Uh, we don't know those numbers for sure then, for sure yet, but uh, I believe that is the case. Um so yeah, you know, representation comes in all all shapes, sizes, and colors here in Michigan, and and you know, in, in Detroit particularly, you know, for the past three elections, we've elected a white mayor, and there's no district in that race, so right. you know, it happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Terry, really appreciate your call. Uh, let's go quickly to Gary in Auburn Hills. Gary, we've only got a couple minutes left, but go ahead. Hey, quick question. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for putting me on. Um, isn't the problem really in the primaries? These districts that we're talking about are electing um, Democrats, but they're tending to elect uh, white Democrats versus um, descriptively representative black ones. And I think maybe the choice, the solution is, is ranked choice voting in the primaries, never mind in the rest of the elections, but just specifically focusing on primaries uh, to fit with these districts. Hmm. Uh, great question, uh, Gary. Uh, give the commissioners a chance to respond. Anthony, uh, you're up first this time. You know, it, it's a multifaceted issue, right? You know, you have primaries where you have, you know, quite a large number of people running, you know, whereas uh, the result could possibly be different if, 
you know, the competition was whittled down to a fewer number of candidates. Now, I don't think that's uh, the commission's job to determine who runs for office. Mm -hmm. But ranked choice voting is certainly something that that might help with that or runoff voting or or something like that. You know, another thing that might help is the community um, kind of self-selecting a smaller pool of candidates. Uh, that that could be a way to go about it too, but you know I'd certainly be interested in looking at if uh, runoff voting is possible in Detroit. Yeah, uh, I think that's an important reminder that uh, what we did in 2018, creating this commission, was an important reform. But reform is not something that ever ends, right? You, I, I got to constantly be thinking about what else could improve uh, the process, uh, and therefore. The outcomes. Uh, Rebecca, we've only got about a minute left, but uh, I want you to respond to, to Gary. Yeah, I, I'm actually in favor of ranked choice voting as well. I think often we have voters who maybe don't want to vote for one of the top two candidates and they vote for a third. And it would be um, very interesting to actually have them be able to reallocate their votes if they, you know, maybe they want to vote for a green candidate or a libertarian candidate and, you know, still want their vote to count in case that candidate doesn't have enough to press on. So I'm, I'm in favor of ranked choice voting. Yeah. Okay, uh, Rebecca Zatella and Anthony Ead, it's always great to have you guys here to talk about the really important work uh, that you guys uh, did on the redistricting commission. And uh, we'll keep checking in with you, I'm sure, as we uh, as we get deeper into the cycle. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when Rana Faruar, author of the book Homecoming, is going to join us to discuss why the future economy is local. This is 101.9 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>